Fill us with your spirit. Renew our minds. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. Well, let's get into the, the book of Daniel this morning. I tell you, I get Bible questions frequently. I had a Bible question this morning, and uh, I didn't have an answer for it. Uh, but the, the question was, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with those Ten Commandments and threw them on the ground, and they broke, what happened to them? What did they do with them? And so in all of my studying over the years, I gave this person the most educated answer. I could possibly sum it. I have no idea. I have no idea. And you know what? That's a very humbling thing. And, and that's true. We don't know everything in the Word, do we? And right now we're going through the book of Daniel. It's a prophetic book. And I don't want to uh, um, be arrogant enough to tell you that I, after all the years I've studied this book, have it all figured out. I wish I did. Um, prophecy has been a, a hobby study of mine my entire Christian life. And even today, um, there were things that I was studying over the course of the last two weeks as we were getting ready to do this study right here in Daniel chapter 7. And, and there's things that I've seen that I have never seen before. And I think that, that part of that is just us needing to be humble when it comes to things that haven't happened yet or, or debatable portions of Scripture because there are people that believe that all these things that we're talking about have already happened. And, uh, and, and so there's a multitude of different interpretations in the Christian world when it comes to prophetic books. Um, I'm going to offer you different suggestions, um, but I want to try to offer you what I do believe the text is saying as well. Um, any questions before we get into Daniel 7 this morning? Because I know this has been some, some pretty deep material. Before we get into it, does anybody have any thoughts or questions about Daniel? We're going to be looking at the, uh, the, the terrible beast. Remember, there's four great beasts that rise up out of the sea. The fourth one is the terrible beast that has the ten horns. We're going to focus in this morning on the eleventh little horn that comes up. But before we get into the text, are there any questions? Nope? Okay. Well, let's get into it. Um, Daniel chapter 7, and I'm going to ask somebody, if you would, we're going to read verse 7 together. And... Uh, let me get over there myself really quick. Daniel chapter 7. Now before we read this, can anyone um, help me just kind of summarize what we've covered so far in Daniel 7? The, the topic and what it's been about? Okay. Who said that? Got it? We'll let you say it to everybody. The first three beasts. Okay. So if you remember, there's... This is after Daniel has, uh, this is like for what, 60-something years, we said, after the first vision that he gave to Nebuchadnezzar. He gave Nebuchadnezzar this big statue image, this vision, this dream, that showed all the future world empires that were ever to come. And if you remember, um, when you got down the two legs of iron, we said that, that the, um, most interpreters believe that that's Rome that broke into two legs. But there's these feet and toes that happen at the very, very end. And the, when this event happens, it tells us that it happens at the time when the Messiah returns. So what I have conjectured and what many people conjecture is this is a final world empire that has yet to arise. And I, I think that that's clear, especially when you get into other prophetic um, texts later on in Daniel and when you get into the book of Revelation, which we're going to touch on Revelation just a little bit this morning that there is a, a time coming, and in my personal belief, it's coming soon, very soon. 
where you're going to see powers move and switch in the world again. This happens all the time. But it's almost like the stage is going to be set one more time for a final world empire, a final world leader. And Daniel chapter 7 or Daniel chapter 2 says it's during the time of those kings when the God of heaven will destroy them all, right? He will bring judgment to them all and he will establish his kingdom on the earth and rule and reign, okay? So that's kind of where we are. So these four beasts that Daniel sees in chapter 7 is a retelling of the same story, except that it's from another standpoint. Does that make sense? It's interesting because when God shows Daniel all the future world empires, he sees it as the statue of a man. But when God shows Daniel in chapter 7 later on these future world empires, he represents them as they really are, beasts. They're beasts, right? They're terrible beasts. And so who is in control of the world empires? Who's in control of them all? Of them all? Satan is. Ah, see, I got you. I caught you there. Yes, God is sovereignly, ultimately in control, right? It's almost like here's God. He's got his boundaries, right? And the devil has some playground in the middle because of, of the fallenness of man and because we've given over this world to him for a time being. But, but Satan has freedom with these empires, okay? We're going to read a text in a moment in the book of Revelation, and it's going to talk about Satan. He's going to be represented as a great red dragon, with seven heads and ten horns. And what that's telling you is, is that all those world empires are his. If you remember when he tempted Jesus out uh, when he was fasting for 40 days, one of the temptations that he gave Jesus was, hey, listen, look at all these empires. And sometimes I've conjectured, I don't know, but you, you tend to think he's showing him images of maybe the Roman Empire. I sometimes wonder if he's not showing him all of them. All the past ones, all the future ones, they're all yours if you'll just do what? If you'll just bow down and worship me, right? So he has control of the world empires for a season. When will Satan no longer have control of the world empires according to the prophecies? Yes, Pam. When he comes back, right? That's the image in chapter 2. When the stone comes out of heaven, remember, it crushes, it hits the feet of the image, and when it hits the feet of the image, the entire image comes down, right? And it says the kingdoms of this world have now become the, kingdoms, the kingdom of God. So in chapter 7, we've been going through these four beasts. We've come to this fourth one. This fourth beast is dreadful and terrible. Who has the mic? Would you go ahead and read verse um, 7 for us? Yes. Okay, thank you. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was diff different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Okay, had ten horns. Now remember, the ten horns that's talked about here is a latter extension of that, that beast, right? Just like we talked about in Daniel chapter 2, you have the two legs of iron, and the feet and the toes, but the toes, those toes at the very end are an extension of that original kingdom, a latter-day extension of that original kingdom, or a later extension of that original kingdom. Um, so here's something I want to say. Prophecy from a Western mindset, you and I, we are heavily influenced by Greek philosophy in the way that we think about things. 
And we have to be mindful of that when we look at prophecy because prophecy in the Jewish mind is different than the way you and I tend to think about prophecy. When we think of prophecy, what do we tend to think about? Prediction, fulfillment, right? Prediction, fulfillment. But in the Jewish mindset, that's not the case. Prophecy in the Jewish mindset is cyclical. There's levels of fulfillment, right? It's almost like a cup, if you will, and this is, is, is what has been prophesied, but there can be events that will happen that will fill up the cup a certain level, but it won't fill it up all the way. Does that make sense? Let me give you um, a case in point. The Bible oftentimes uses typology, type and anti-type. A type is the picture or image that God sets up with an event or a thing, but it sets an image or a picture that later on is fully fulfilled. Does that make sense? Okay. So um, I'm trying to give you a, a clear example from, well, let's just give it the clearest example, the one that we're going to be getting into in the, in the very next chapter, is um, Daniel's going to talk about what happens in the 400 years between the Testaments. During the Seleucid Empire, if you remember, Alexander the Great's empire breaks up into four regions. The Ptolemaic Empire, which was Egypt, and then the Seleucid Empire, which was more Syria, which uh, more north, northwest, um, Middle Eastern area, those two uh, entities fought with each other during the 400 years before the birth of Jesus. There was a man that rose to power. Um, he was a Seleucid king, and he was horrible. His name was Antiochus Epiphanes. Um, they actually make, made fun of him. The Jews made fun of him. They called him Antiochus Epimenes. Uh, one word difference. They called him the madman. The madman. Why is that? Because he was almost like Adolf Hitler. He rose to power and he made it his personal mission to try to get rid of the Jews. He wanted to exterminate the Jews. And so he goes in, he takes over Israel, um, he sacrifices a pig on the altar uh, in Jerusalem. Uh, he creates an abomination that causes desolation, right, in Jerusalem. And this guy is a type. He's a picture. He's a shadow, if you will, because later on, Daniel's going to build on that and say that this 11th horn that we're about to read about, the, 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 the final world leader, is going to be like that. So Antiochus Epiphanes is the type this final rule lead, rule, world leader is the antitype, the fulfillment of this picture. Does that make sense? Okay, if it doesn't, please tell me. Okay, we, if it doesn't make sense, please tell me. Okay, so let's get into verse 8. And we're going to watch what happens with this little horn. And we're going to try to identify who this little horn is. Um, verse 8. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, now, what does that tell you about this? Per but what's a horn? Stop right there. What's the picture of a horn? Strength, power. A horn is a leader, okay? Now, if you are a big horn, what are you? You're a big leader. You're well-known. You're strong. But if you're a little horn, what are you? Yeah, so in other words, during the days of the ten toes, during the days of the ten horns, during the days, let's translate the image, in the last days when there are ten world rulers that rise to power, there is another little horn that rises, and at first, he's a nobody. He's a little horn, okay? But what happens with this little horn is, in, is it becomes much bigger. Let's keep reading. So there before me was a little horn, a, a little one, which came up among them, among the ten, 
three of the first horns were uprooted. What is that telling you about the horns? When, if the horn is a strength, a power, a leader, but it's been uprooted, what happens there? Hmm? Okay, they've lost their power. So when the little horn comes up, I conjecture there's three of the ten that don't like his program. That's my guess. There's three of the ten that don't like the program. And so he defeats the other three, and that's what raises him to power. Okay? This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. This is the key image all throughout the Bible, all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the New Testament. When this person, this final world leader, is talked about, one of the greatest characteristics that's always talked about him is that he's arrogant. He's boastful. How boastful is he? Well, I'll tell you how boastful he is. We're going to read a scripture in just a moment in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that says that when he does the abomination of desolation, when he fulfills the type and the image of Antiochus Epiphanes in the last days, what he will do is he will walk into Jerusalem, he will sit himself in the temple of God, and he will proclaim himself to be God on the earth. We've never seen anything like that on the earth, have we? Nothing like that has ever happened before. And the Bible says it's going to happen. He's got a big, big mouth. Now, when we get to Daniel chapter 11, verse uh, Daniel chapters 11 and 12, we're going to learn a lot more about this guy. But let's keep going for now. I want you to take your fingers, keep it here in Daniel. Turn to Revelation 17 with me. Revelation 17, we're looking at verses 3 through 5. I want to show you how this image shows up again. John sees the same thing. John's on the Isle of Patmos. He's been given visions about the last days, about the return of Christ, about the millennium reign. Hey, brother, good to see you. Um, and when John sees these things, he's seeing them from the other side, right? He doesn't see them from the perspective of Daniel, whereas they haven't happened yet. He's seeing them from the perspective of the end, looking back, because God is showing him the whole picture. And what we're going to find out is that John sees the same thing that Daniel sees. Look at Revelation 17. Oh, let's see. I think I got it. I get ahead of myself a little bit here. Yeah, I did. Back it up to um, Revelation 12. I apologize. I did. I got ahead of myself. Revelation chapter 12, verses 3 and 4. And if somebody would please read that. Do you still have the microphone? Okay. Would anybody like to read? Okay, Pam's going to read it for us. Thank you. This is good. I need to get one of those step counters. Get my steps in today. Oh, let me get it for you. There you go, one second. Okay. Then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns with seven crowns on his head, heads. His tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky, and he threw them to the earth. He stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, and he made to devour her baby as soon as it, as it was born. Okay, thank you very much. Now, did you notice it says there's a great red dragon? John sees a vision of this great red dragon. Who is the great red dragon? Satan. He identifies the great red dragon in a later verse. He actually says the serpent of old, right, who, had, who deceived man. So we know the great red dragon is Satan. But he's pictured here as having seven heads and ten horns. Listen, it's so easy to break this down because when you look at what a head is, a head is like a horn. It is a picture of authority, okay? 
but it's a picture of a kingdom. When you read the book of Daniel ahead, is a picture of a kingdom. He's got seven heads, which means that Satan has seven world empires, right? What are they? Well, we've looked at five of them. We've been talking about them all the time. If you just go back to the image of Daniel, that's the easiest way. Let's count them off. He started with Babylon, Medo-Persia, okay? What else? Greece, Rome, and whatever that ten horn thing is, right? The final one. We're going to call that the, the final kingdom. There's five there. There's two more ahead of that. What came before Babylon? Assyria. What came before Assyria? Egypt. There's your seven. Those are the seven. It goes from Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and whatever that last one is going to be. It's, it's like a revival of some type of the strength of Rome. And what we're going to see, going back to the book of Daniel here in just a moment, is that those ten toes, those ten horns, whatever that final world empire is, it's going to be a resurrection of all of them together. It's going to have components of all of them in one final beast. And that's going to be Satan's last stand, if you will. Okay? All right, let's go to um, Revelation 13. Flip over one chapter. Look at verses 1 and 2. Somebody read that. Anybody want to read? Okay, Augustine over here. Would you guys switch the mic over? Thank you. Revelation 13, verses 1 and 2. And then also, Augustine, I'm going to get you to read 5 and through 7, okay? So 1 and 2 and 5 through 7. Huh? Well, a little more. <laughs> 1 and 2. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up of the sea, having seven, seven heads and ten horns. And on his horns, the ten crowns, and on his heads... As blasphemous thing. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. Okay, very good. So do you see what's happening? He sees the he sees the image, but he sees the four beasts in reverse. Remember, we just got through reading Daniel 7. We just went through these four beasts. John is seeing the same thing, but he's seeing it in reverse. Why? Because he's on the other side of history looking back. But this final world empire, and if you notice, the ten horns now have something else. What do they have? On the horns. Crowns. What does that mean? When you've been crowned as a, as a, as a ruler, what does that mean? You have now the authority to, to do whatever it is that you're going to do. So these ten horns, by this point, have now received ten crowns. They're ready to rule. Okay, they're ready to rule. All right. Um, Augustine, five through seven, please, if you would, or Max Dan, whichever. Five through seven? Yes, ma'am. And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. Okay, so what's the scope of this, this man's power? Worldwide. Worldwide. And if you think about it, the picture makes a lot of sense, right? Because when was the, when was the first world destroyed? 
the flood, right? And it was a global flood, a global corruption and global flood. Well, that's a picture, that's a type, that's an image that's going to be fulfilled again, except the second time it's not going to be destroyed with water, it's going to be destroyed with what? Fire, okay? So same kind of picture. Now, uh, turn over to Revelation 17. Revelation 17, we're going to look at one more of these. And if somebody would read Revelation 17, 3 through 5. The main thing here, I'm not trying to interpret Revelation, but I, I am trying to show you that these pictures occur both places. Um, they're describing the same things, the same kind of things. I want you to see those ten horns and that one little horn. You got it, Roxanne? Yes. Okay, Revelation 17, 3 through 5. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. See, there it is again. And the woman was clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations and of the unclean things of her immorality. And upon her forehead a name was written, a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. All right. So again, now we're looking at Babylon. Do you see the picture? He's looking back. It's a composite of all these beasts. It's a final iteration of all of Satan's former kingdoms. And that final world empire, the final world, world ruler, comes up among those ten. When those ten rise to power, there's another one that comes up, and he becomes the last dreadful, um, the last dreadful ruler. Now, let's go back to Daniel 7. Flip back to Daniel with me. And let's go at verse 9. Um, we just got through reading about Satan's final kingdom with the dragon given the beast his throne. Now, going back to the next part of Daniel's prophecy in Daniel chapter 7, 9 through 10, what do we see? We're going to see God give the Son his throne. This is exciting, right? This is the part we're all waiting for. This, this is what we're hoping for as believers. This is what our blessed hope is. We long for the day for the return of our Messiah. We long for the day when justice is going to be done in this world. We long for the day when all the corrupt governments of the world are going to be exposed and dealt with. Amen? Well, this is the moment that takes place. Look at verse 9. As I looked, thrones were set up in place, and the Ancient of Days, I love that title, the Ancient of Days took his seat. Who's the Ancient of Days? That's the, that's, that's the Father, right? And it says, His clothing was as white as snow, and the hair of His head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before Him. Doesn't that give you chills just reading this? It's incredible. Now, stop right there for a moment. What we're reading is the judgment day. This is judgment day. This is, this is that stone that has come and, just, and hit the feet, and now the empires of the world are being dealt with, and now the king is sitting on his throne. Now, it's interesting, by the way, it tells you that thrones were set up. That's plural, ain't it? Thrones were set up. Would anybody like to guess how many thrones were set up? Book of Revelation tells you. Not twelve. Huh? 24. 24 thrones. I'm sorry. I did read that wrong. No, it is 12, right? It's for the 12. Was it 24 or 12? Revelation chapter 1, 24, 24 thrones. And chapter 4, 24 thrones. Okay, so this is, the, this is the elders of the church. This is the elders of the church. This is the elders, the 24 elders. It's talked about. It says thrones were set up. Now, look at the next verse. 
Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. What books are opened at the end? The book of life. Okay, the book of life. There's actually other books, uh, too, that are talked about in Scripture. I won't get into all that this morning, but um, we're going to be judged, folks. We're going to be judged. We're going to be looked at. Our lives are going to be looked at. Now, if you have the blood of Christ, that, that's a good thing. You don't want to be judged without the blood of Christ. Amen? Okay. Now, look at verse 11. Look at verse 11. I think I have it up on the screen. I can, from this point forward, I have the Scriptures, I think. Okay, verse 11. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words that the horn was speaking. And I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body was destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. Now in the book of Revelation chapter 5, verses 11 through 12, this is a courtroom setting and he's being judged. And you have to understand something about hell. I saw a picture the other day. It was a meme. I guess it was on Facebook. And it was showing a picture of people falling into the fires. And, and Satan was there. And it, it really was the old school picture of Satan. The horns and a pitchfork. And he had this big smile on his face like, yeah, come to hell. Or whatever. This is the craziest and honestly dumbest image I've ever seen in my life. Because listen to me. Let me tell you something. Hell is a real place, but it's created for Satan and his angels. You understand that? Hell is not even a place yet. There is no hell right now. Um, there is, there's, a, there's a holding area, okay, called Hades, that, where there is flame and there's people being tormented according to the, the Bible. But at the end, when the books are opened, when the books are opened, it says death and hell, Hades, was poured into the lake of fire. That's hell, okay? And it's not a place that Satan rules. He does not have a happy time there. It says that he will be tormented along with the beast, and the false prophet. That's somebody we haven't even talked about yet because the false prophet is a partner of the beast and he shows up in the book of Revelation. It says that this place has been especially created for Satan, his fallen angels, the beast, and the false prophet. And it says the fire will never go out forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Those who decide not to follow Christ get poured into that same place. Does that make sense? Okay. Now... Look at verse 11 from 11, or you don't have to turn there, I'll just read it to you. Revelation 5, 11 through 12. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000. See, same exact language as Daniel. Same exact language as Daniel. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, 24 of them, in a loud voice they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Daniel sees the same thing John saw. We could go over to Revelation chapter 20, verses 20, uh, or, or up to verse 13. It says, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast, that's the eleventh horn, the final world ruler, and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented how long? Day and night, forever and ever. And then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated upon it, this is Revelation 20. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And look at here. The books were opened. The books were opened. Verse 12. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. 
The sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Okay, let's go back to Daniel. I think we got to verse 12. Now, <laughs> whew, this one threw the, this Bible teacher for a loop this last week. Um, look at verse 12. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority, but were allowed to live for a period of time. There is another interpretation of the four beasts. I'm not going to take the time to go back to the four beasts because I feel like you guys are getting bored of that and tired of that by now. But there's another interpretation of the four beasts that the four beasts of Daniel 7 is not a parallel to the image of Daniel 2, that it's actually talking about four beasts that have not risen yet. Now, that might throw you for a little bit of a loop, but it's not entirely impossible to think of it this way because, again, remember, prophecy is cyclical, right? So, in other words, just because they, they seem like they're talking about the exact same events that are in Daniel chapter 2, it's just typology and prophecy, the way it's fulfilled. In other words, it still could be fulfilled again in the future in the same general vicinities of the same general types of nations but it could be a last day's thing because if you remember in Daniel chapter 2, and this is the problem I'm having with the text now, because understand, I wrestle with text just like you do. In Daniel chapter 2, when the, the stone is uh, cut with, that's not cut with hands hits the image and destroys it, what does it say happens to all the nations? They're all destroyed. But here, it doesn't say they're destroyed. Here, it says that the first three were allowed to live for a period of time. After the return of Jesus. So in other words, he allows these, these nations to go into the millennium. That's where we get into the, the sheep and the goat judgments. Okay? Yeah, Augustine. Okay. Uh, who's got the mic? Well, yeah, go ahead. Would you get to Thank you. I had this dream. Um, it always happens when someone, not always, but in particular times, a friend of mine passed away. So that night I had a dream and I was in this room. And in front of me, I was sitting here, there was like people that were addicts and, and broken and they were stagnant. And uh, I was just looking at them and there was a window to my right. When I looked outside that window, it was in a city. And inside that city, there was like an escalator. And they were running with the escalator. So I opened the door and I told them, hey, you guys are going the wrong way. You know, it's that way. And they were looking at the people that were sitting stagnant and kind of laughing at them, just blew them off. I said, all right, whatever. So I looked to my left. I went back in there and looked at these people. I looked to my left and there was another door. So I go through that door, and there was people, very few, and these people had books. As I was looking at them, I was wondering where I was at. Here comes that man that passed away the day before. His name was Joey. So, hey, Joey, Joey, what are you doing? What are you doing? And uh, he just starts laughing. He was tall, young, strong. And uh, I started telling those people with the books, hey, this guy's dead. I knew he died the day before. He just started laughing. He asked me if I wanted to go with them. But the book thing, there will be people with books in it. 
Um, so I, he asked me if I wanted to go, and I said no. So I went back to the room where the people were stagnant. But uh, it is true about they're waiting with your, the book of life. Good. I've seen. Anyways, Thank you. I thought uh, there's some. Appreciate that. The Spirit led me to say that, try to be obedient. I really didn't want to say it, but well, thank for you the for first doing that. time, yeah, for the first time, I'm listening. Good. Doing what he asked me to do. All right, thank you. So, yeah, thank you, Augustine. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 says, um, the thing that has been is that which shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done. There's no new thing under the sun. And so you see these events in these nations and what happened in Daniel chapter 2, and you see the same kinds of things in Daniel chapter 7. And here's the thing, it can be both. That's the nature of prophecy, is that it can be referring back to things that happened originally with these nations, but it can also be pointing to the future about what can be happening with these nations. We already know that out of the ten, there's three that are uprooted. It almost sounds like these are the three that, the, that, this, that this world ruler put down, right? Because God is giving them grace, allowing them to continue for a short period of time, okay? When is that period of time? It's, it's called the millennium. It's the thousand-year reign that's talked about in the book of Revelation and in Zechariah and in Isaiah and in Jeremiah and many other places in the prophetic books. It's also talked about the millennial reign of the Messiah. It's talked about in the Old Testament as well. So these nations are going to be granted time to come into this because God's giving them some grace. It's the sheep and goat judgments in Matthew chapter 25. Remember that? There's the, he judges the nations, and some nations he allows to go in, and some nations he doesn't. And the criteria for what, how you're allowed to come in is, is mentioned there. Okay? All right, look at verse 13. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. Who's this? This is Jesus. This is the return of the Messiah. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him, his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And the church said on that one, amen. amen. So if you remember, um, the most common way that Jesus referred to himself in the Gospels was what? Son of man. He borrows that phrase from the book of Daniel. Why? Because he's telling the people that's who he is. In other words, when he says, I'm the son of man, he's calling to memory this prophecy that you're reading right here. That the Jews today will tell you that's a messianic prophecy. If you, if you talk to a Jew in a synagogue who doesn't believe in Jesus whatsoever, they'll say, that's Messiah right there. But what they don't realize is who the Messiah is. They missed it. They don't know that Jesus was actually their Messiah. They're going to realize it one day. In fact, the whole purpose, guys, this is so... So big, and I wish I had more time. I really, when, when I get into this, I need like a four-hour block. I really do, because there's so much to talk about in this. But the whole reason why there's going to be this final world empire and this final world ruler is because, once again, the nation of Israel is going to have their backs up against the wall. And they're going to be facing annihilation one more time. And the Bible says, this time, this time, the book of Zechariah, chapter 12, they will look upon me whom they have pierced and they will mourn as one who has lost their only son. And it says, Jesus said in Matthew 23, right before he was about to be crucified, he says, I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, who's he talking to? The leaders of Israel. 
You won't see me again until you say with your mouth, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The people did it, but the leaders didn't. One day the leaders will, and that's when Messiah returns. Yes, ma'am. Uh-huh. It says that he came to the Ancient of Days, which we were saying that's God, right? Yes. And then it says, and they brought him near before him. Who's they? Is that the elders? Let me go back. That's a good question. Let's see where I put it. Okay. Thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white. Okay, rivers flowing from about him. Ten. And what verse are we looking at? Uh, the end of uh, thirteen. Mine says, "And they brought him near." It says what? What does yours say? He was presented. What version do you have, Maxan? I have New King James. New King James, and you have. New American Standard, both are very similar. Um, I don't know without looking at the context. When it says they, I do know that the 24 elders are there. Yeah, so that's, that's what that's I was probably wondering. probably my, my best guess. So that's a very good guess. Okay, but that's a good question too. Okay, so let's stop here. We're going to uh, wrap this up next week. We're going to get out of Daniel chapter 7. We're going to start Daniel chapter 8. Daniel chapter 8 um, is going to be interesting as well. We're going to have a yet another vision that Daniel's going to see, and he's going to see a vision about a ram, uh, and he's going to see a vision about a he-goat, a he and they're going to clash. They're going to fight each other, okay? And again, it's going to be a clash between two different nations. We'll talk about that next week. Okay, any thoughts or comments before we close? Okay, yeah, Max in. Go ahead. Okay, when it was talking about the, uh, that death and Hades will be given up to the... Yeah, handed over. Okay. When, our, when we die... Yes. I know that our physical bodies decay. Right. But does our souls automatically go to where Jesus is, or does it sit in Hades? Can I answer that in 30 seconds? Okay. That's a, that's a, big, that's a big old question. Let me oh, tell you. is it? I was, okay, let me tell you. I, I, uh, I was curious about that same question one time, and here's what I did. I took every single verse in the Bible, every one of them, and I said, okay, where do we go when we die? Okay. And I, I just I, and I, I put a, a cross on a piece of paper, and here's what I discovered: every single verse before the cross says that you go to Hades. It's a waiting place, okay? And on one side, he talks about it with the rich man and Lazarus. On one side, it's called paradise, and that's where Abraham is, and that's where you it's is a place of enjoyment, but it's a place of rest and peace. And on the other side, there's a great gulf, and there's a place of torment, right? And then, but here's the thing: every verse before the cross. That's where they go. In the Old Testament, it's called um, Sheol. In the New Testament, it's called Hades. But then here's something I discovered. Every single verse after the cross, if you're a Christian, it says to be absent with the Lord is be present with the, be absent from the body is present with the Lord. So what changed? And so then what I did is I started searching through the scriptures to see if I could find what changed. And I found it in the book of Ephesians. And it says that he went down into Hades. He grabbed them out and pulled them out and gave gifts to men. Okay. So my understanding is that Hades is now half empty. <laughs> That's my understanding. I could be wrong. I'm not going to be dogmatic on it, okay? Um, but 
I do know that in Revelation it says that Hades was poured into the lake of fire. It doesn't say anything about paradise there. Again, I think it's because he's already taken them out, but that's just my opinion. Okay. All right, guys, God bless you. We'll see you in just a moment for worship.